Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing with Alan Collar's Around the World Alone, and we're on Chapter 5. Chapter 5. The Waiting. The Anguish. Saturday, December 29th. Today, at 1800 hours, the 14 remaining participants in the Whitbread race will begin the third round of their competition by sailing across the South Pacific and the Southern Sea to Rio, leaving Cape Horn to port, according to the laconic expression of their instructions. I will leave one hour later and escort them to the same rendezvous with glory before our route separates and Manoreva and I continue on a straight course to San Marlo in order to complete our loop around the world. For almost everyone involved, with the exception of perhaps only two or three people, this leg will be the solemn moment which will make of us, simple seamen that we are, knights of the sea with the title Cape Horners. It is a gratuitous title, but a prestigious one nonetheless, evoking as it does so many dreams and so much magic. I left Sydney Harbour on schedule at 1900 hours, heading out between North Head and South Head on a tranquil sea. The temperature was ideal, the wind gentle from the north-northeast. Then I turned due east. Around midnight, I had proof, if I needed any, that my 32 days in Sydney had not caused me to rust unduly. Manoreva overtook adventure, which was running second on corrected time during the first two stages of the race, behind Sayula too, but ahead of my compatriots aboard Critter and Grand Louis, who were two hours behind adventure. After 14,000 miles, the closeness of their positions gave some indication of the quality of the racers and of the kind of race that this stage would be. Despite the circumstances of our departure, which reminded me of a ship leaving on a cruise of the South Seas with a load of tourists, a thought occurred to me that sent a shiver down my spine. On November 19th, Tauranga lost a man overboard in a storm and nothing could be done to save him. On November 24th, Dominic Guillet, the skipper and soul of 33 Export, was swept overboard by a wave from the west. Since then, nothing has been quite the same. The Indian Ocean has exacted its tribute and in so doing has marked each one of us. It may be because I am sailing alone, but for some reason these losses have affected me more than I would have thought possible. At the same time, I am convinced that nothing will ever keep the maritime racer from thinking that his only concern is simply to go faster and always faster, if possible, without accidents, race or no race. And I know that no one will ever persuade him that this race is the insane undertaking of maniacs unaware of the danger involved and not obedience to a law as old as the world itself, compelling certain men to go further than anyone else has ever gone before. The ocean also extracted another form of tribute, a technical tribute in this case, from most of the participants. Torn sails, broken masts, damaged rudders and much more. Sayula narrowly missed being lost forever in those icy raging waters after a knockdown that literally turned her upside down. By some miracle, she righted herself, dragging two of her crew through the water by their safety harnesses. The Indian Ocean is indeed a sea of troubles, and also of tragedy and of fear. It is true that some of the participants reached Sydney only a few days ago, and that they've barely had time to lay in fresh supplies of food and water before setting out again. 
I, on the other hand, had all the time in the world to repair and prepare Manoreva for the great encounter with Cape Horn. Still, it was not the most relaxing layover imaginable for me, since I had to work through the list of repairs and modifications to be done, a list that ran to twelve pages in my large notebook. In appearance, Manoreva is as shipshape and proud now as she was when she first sailed from San Marlo, but in reality, the upper works, on the whole, have suffered a good deal from being subjected almost constantly to extreme stress. Even so, only one yard of line out of 3,000 showed any sign of fatigue during our 14,000 miles, and then it was only because of really extreme conditions. In the final analysis, with the day-to-day repairs that I did, we reached port without any serious damage, and even without too many near misses. Be that as it may, no boat is ever hauled without revealing a few unpleasant surprises. Manareva had to be repainted, of course, to smooth the bottom and so cut down on resistance through the water on the next leg of the voyage, and she had to be scraped down to remove the usual algae and other marine accumulations. But that was not all. The hull had been hammered by the waves, and the impact of these walls of water had left its mark here and there. There were times, in very high winds, when I had seen patches of paint blowing past me, but it was not until we were in port that I was able to see just how much damage had been done. We also had to weld two cracks that had appeared at the spot where the beams are attached to the lateral floats. During this operation, we noticed that the entire forward part of these floats, which fortunately do not connect with the aft floats because of the different watertight compartments, was practically full of water. We had to bore a hole in the underside of the compartment to allow the water to drain so that the fissure could be soldered. In other words, there was a great deal of work for me and my friends and family in Sydney, more than enough for those who had come from France and for those who lived in Australia. They had all come not only to offer congratulations, but also to offer a hand when needed. And chief among these, of course, was my brother Jean-Francois, Jeff who had followed our struggle by radio and who got together everything that we needed in Australia. At the Australian Cruising Yacht Club at Rush Cutters Bay, everyone was tremendously busy. Manoreva, only a few feet away from two of the boats from the Whitbread, had a joyous, excited team of workers hovering over her. It was the holiday season of 1973, the time for the trials for the Southern Cross Cup, a week of international races of which the most famous is the Sydney Hobart race. Australian sailing fans were even more excited about their own races than they were about the Whitbread or about the other Frenchmen following in the wake of the clipper ships. A group of very good friends were working along with the Collar clan. Felix, as good-natured as most seamen of Mediterranean stock, who had joined the crew of Critter at Cape Town for the second stage of the Whitbread and who had just come ashore. Georges, who had been heading back to Tahiti to finish construction of his own boat but who, at my request, stayed to give me the benefit of his experience and technical competence in working on the transmission system of the automatic pilot and in modifying the upper works of Manoreva. Gilda, who like Georges was born in Brittany and had accompanied Georges on a tour around half the world, joined us after sailing solo from Tahiti to northern Australia. Tahiti, it seems, is the crossroads for all our friends who can't stay away from the sea. Thus, Manoreva was able to enjoy the same devoted attention and the same limitless time and patience that her bizarre aluminum hull has received since the day she was launched. Sunday, December 30th. 
The sea is calm and beautiful today. During the night, I left Grand Louis behind and also passed what I think is second life. It seems good to be back in the open sea. There is an enchanted sunrise of purple and scarlet to celebrate the unparalleled flight of my Manoreva, for I've sighted Critter and Great Britain too abeam. It's obvious that we've found our stride. I've taken advantage of this glorious sunlight to indulge myself in the luxury of a nap. The first day is a time for putting everything in order and for various contacts with the boats in the Whitbread. I will decide the proper time for these radio breaks every day after receiving the weather report from Sydney. There is good news. Seula is sighted abeam. And there is bad news. My generator started up willingly enough and then sputtered out and refused any further collaboration. Adding insult to injury, it is now giving off a nauseating and pervasive stench of fuel. Problem with the automatic pilot at midnight. I've had to tie down the cap because the pin has come out. I've decided to sail off the wind and to haul down the mizzen so that I can get a good night's sleep. Monday, December 31st. A sudden increase in wind from the south-southwest. After jibing, I had lowered the Genoa. It is too soon to start giving Manareva a hard time. During the afternoon, I exchanged positions with Critter and Grand Louis, followed by a long chat which ran down my batteries. I'm now using the little Honda standby unit. I'm still having trouble with the generator, and I suspect that it's got a bad contact. I've left it on while recharging with the Honda, but so far there is no sign of life when I press the button. I'm already having trouble raising Sydney. I could not get hold of Jeff, and I finally had to send a telegram asking him to answer after he hears the meteorological bulletin for the Whitbread. Tuesday, January the 1st, 1974. I got up at 0100 hours to wish myself a happy new year. After all, I am beginning the new year with a long voyage, and I could not ask for anything better. This stage will indeed be long, 16,000 miles instead of the 14,000 between San Marlo and Sydney via the Cape of Good Hope. Long and also dangerous, because we will have to go down further, exchanging the roaring 40s for the howling 50s, passing Cape Horn in a field of ice flows and sailing through areas which all the charts indicate are littered with icebergs. No doubt, the first 7,000 miles will be the hardest. We are ready for them. Everything is in good shape and has already been tested in the Indian Ocean. After Cape Horn, I will try to increase our speed. There are still some fantastic records to be challenged on the way home, and I will amuse myself by trying to do something about them. Until then, however, I'm going to play it safe and play nursemaid to Manoreva. The only important thing at this stage is to get around Cape Horn. I made a decision at noon regarding my course. All of the participants in the race except Second Life have chosen to follow the route toward Cape Horn that passes the extreme southern tip of New Zealand. Second Life will go through the Cook Strait, which separates the northern and southern islands of New Zealand and hopes to compensate for this longer route by picking up stronger southwest winds. At first, I was tempted to go with the majority around the southern tip of New Zealand, the shortest route, following an imaginary straight line between two points on the globe. Going the other way, the course remains constant, but the distance is longer. However, in the first instance, although the distance is less, the course must be changed constantly to curve toward the pole, following the curve of the circle. Weighing the advantages and disadvantages of both options, I chose to go through Cook Strait with the idea that I could then put into Wellington for repairs on my generator. Meanwhile, 
I'm trying to repair it myself. I changed the spark plugs and succeeded in getting it started. It ran for 30 minutes and then stopped again. I then worked out a Rube Goldberg solution. I soaked a piece of fabric in gasoline, put it in the air filter's place and set it afire with the idea that it may simply be the warm-up system that is not working. Sure enough, the generator started up, but then sputtered out again because it was overheating. It's possible that the trouble lies in the cooling system. I keep trying, replacing a fuse, but I am wasting my time and I know it. Another problem, I'm getting serious interference on my radio and I cannot pick up the weather report from Sydney. Fortunately, Critter and Grand Louis heard me. I described my problems with the generator and asked them to pass on a telegram for me. I still have the little Honda standby unit, but it requires too much fuel for me to continue using it. Before midnight, I was able to contact my parents to wish them a happy new year and also to explain my problems, which took 16 minutes. I learned that Penduik 6 has had to put into Sydney Harbour because she has lost her mast again. It's more like a curse than a run of bad luck. That ends the race for Penduik. I'm afraid Eric Tabberley will never be able to get another mast delivered to Sydney in time. Wednesday, January the 2nd. The sea is calm today and I have time to work on the generator, trying various ways to get it started again and succeeded only in getting a series of violent electrical shocks. I've checked everything. The water level of the batteries, the possibility of water in the motor oil, the cylinder head and so forth. I've cleaned the platinum plated screws, dissembled the solenoid, charged the batteries, nothing works. The only thing for me to do now is to wait until tomorrow night at 2300 hours when I have a consultation scheduled with Claude, a diesel specialist in Cannes. I picked up a weather bulletin from Wellington, which is over 600 miles away. Thursday, January the 3rd. The Manoraver was hove to at 0600 hours, and though the wind began to rise, there was no problem. The sea is still calm, with occasional wavelets sparkling in the sunlight. The wind from the southeast has put me in a good mood. I have time to read, in fact, and I read last night until my eyes began to burn. This morning, I started reading Marriage de Lottie, which has some beautiful passages and which I find both fascinating and moving. At the meridian, my position is 36 degrees 40 minutes south and 165 degrees 10 minutes east. I know that yesterday, Critter, Grand Louis and Sayula reached 42 degrees south. I heard a few minutes ago that Grand Louis is in the lead. Bravo! The porpoises around the boat seem to share my elation at the news that a French boat is winning. But the sky, obviously, is Anglo-Saxon and it has turned a sulky grey, letting fall a fine and no doubt vengeful rain. Critter is trailing by 40 miles, but Sayula is still a threat. I contacted Claude, the diesel mechanic, on schedule at 2300 hours. In 10 minutes of the densest possible conversation, he unveiled all the secrets of problem generators clean the battery terminals, tighten all screws and bolts of the control box, strip an electrical wire at both ends for a shunt, and so forth. I made feverish notes of everything, he said. Friday, January the 4th. Another beautiful day. The sky cleared this morning and this afternoon saw a glorious trade wind sky. As it grows later, the wind is picking up. We are continuing on course for Cook Strait. I got my charts in order and then I once more attacked the generator. I thought that I'd found the reason for the breakdown in the warm-up system when I discovered a loose wire leading to the solenoid. But that was obviously not the real problem, because the motor died almost as soon as I started it up. 
I've noticed that the oil is full of bubbles. An interesting but useless piece of information since I do not know what it means. I had radio contact with RTL, but obviously I cannot communicate with them regularly under these conditions. I did take enough time, three minutes, to tell them about the generator. Saturday, January 5th. The wind died this morning and Manareva is becalmed. An albatross is following me, and the albatross is being followed by a dozen petrels, small grey birds from the Antarctic zone, who will be my travelling companions in this area. There is a swell from the south, and there are serious clouds in the sky. Something tells me that we are in for a blow. While waiting, I have picked up where I left off with a generator, trying to follow to the letter the recommendations made by Claude. It's a wasted effort. Total results? two burnt-out fuses, and one more electric shock. I've checked as much as I can of the wiring, washed and cleaned the filters, etc. Nothing works. All I get is a couple of coughs from the motor, and then silence. Tonight I will talk to Claude again, and I hope to get some new instructions. We are moving ahead, but very slowly. For our first week out of Sydney, a total of 1,039 miles, for an average of 148.5 miles per day. Not exactly a record performance. It is true, however, that I'm spending more time with the generator than with the sails, and that the wind has not been very good lately. Sunday, January the 6th. The wind seems very confused this morning, and is making a complete circle of the compass. It necessitates constant veering about and setting a haphazard course. After sending up the reaching jib and taking care of the sails, I settle down to eight hours of steady work on the generator. First, I went over each one of the operations that I had performed in vain for the past few days. Then, I tried all the last resort measures that Claude described to me last night. These concerned especially the fuel pump and the fuel injector. I ended up soaked with fuel, but it appears that the battle has been won. The generator is now working as it should. There are two things wrong with it, a broken wire in the electrical circuit and a blockage in the fuel line. I think that the blockage was probably due to the poor quality of the fuel that I took on in Sydney. I spent the evening at the radio, talking first to Critter, who asked me to pass on several messages for them. I learned from Auckland Radio that it is impossible to raise Tahiti, and so I asked my operator to send a telegram to Teora for me, telling her that the generator was fixed and that I would try to contact her on the Mahina radio frequencies. I talked to Claude again and got a last few words of advice then I talked to my parents and passed on the messages from Critter. Then, in order not to have to spend all evening at the radio, I asked them to let RTL know that we could now re-establish contact. As far as the race is concerned, Critter, Great Britain 2 and Grand Louis are still together at 50 degrees south, while Sayula 2 is further down, about 70 miles away. Monday, January the 7th. I saw a ship to starboard during the night. Its presence may mean that there is land nearby. The big news of the day is that my generator does indeed seem to be functioning perfectly. It started up immediately, and my mood, needless to say, is definitely up. I repaired the battens of the running jib, and filmed the porpoises gambling in the water. They seem as happy as I am. The weather is superb. The barometer is steady at 32.8, and the sounder indicates a depth of 607 feet. We are getting close, but everything is going well, and there is obviously no longer any point in making a stop in New Zealand. At nightfall, there was land to port, a remarkable cone-shaped silhouette. It is North Island. 
According to the legends of the Maoris, the island is a fish pulled from the water by the god Maui. As the lights from Cape Egmont pass in the distance, the depth of the water goes from 489 feet to 303 feet. The barometer is falling and now stands at 28 degrees. I wonder what will happen. During the evening, I contacted RTL through Suntly Radio and gave details of the generator breakdown and its subsequent repair. I also gave a thorough account of my departure from Sydney, followed by news of the Whitbread. A quarter of an hour later, through the same operator at Sanli as super-efficient type, I was able to reach Tayura at Tahiti, finally. Tuesday, January the 8th. The sea is rough and the waves are quite high. In the distance there are lights to starboard, a drilling platform or a brightly lighted ship. I hauled down the mainsail and then we jived. I brought out the jib and ran it up and then the mizzen with one reef in it. I think I've found precisely the proper speed. We will have to jibe again, then luff in order to go closer to shore. Then, when daylight comes, we will hoist the mainsail and let out the reef in the mizzen before entering the narrows of Cook Strait at slow speed. Now, we are being greeted to the Pacific by squalls from every direction, a huge ocean against Manareva and me. We are trying to bear southward to find the wind. It's time for me to worry about sailing again. The Emerald Sea dominates the sombre arc of mountains lining the strait. It is an impressive picture of tranquil power and rough beauty that I find fascinating. I feel refreshed by the sight of the enormous power of the elements. Soon, there was cold air reminiscent of the mountains of Switzerland, and the boat began to knock. Finally, the arrival once more of the albatrosses and the mollymawks confirms that we are once more in the roaring forties. I hauled down the mizzen and went to bed. From now on, we are down to serious business. Well, that's the end of today's chapter. We're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty-gritty of it, and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound. And I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers.